You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies and actors. Words. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. In this episode, we celebrate the Toronto International Film Festival. If you have not peeped our website, we've covered a lot of films that are currently playing and have premiered at the festival. And we're proud to invite one of the filmmakers who made her directorial debut and one of her films is currently playing at the festival. This is none other than writer, director, and producer Justine Bateman, who I had the pleasure of speaking with to talk about her film, Violet. Justine Bateman has had an impressive resume that includes family ties, satisfaction, and arrested development, and many more. She's earned a Golden Globe nomination and two Emmy nominations. An advocate for net neutrality, Justine holds a degree from UCLA in computer science and digital media management. Her producing credits include Easy to Assemble with Elena Douglas, and she wrote and produced her directorial film short debut, Five Minutes, which premiered at the 2017 Toronto International Film Festival. Violet is Bateman's directorial feature film debut of her own script, which stars Olivia Munn, Luke Bracey, and Justin Theroux. It premiered at the South by South Film Festival in 2021 and has its international premiere at TIFF this year. Justine has authored two books, both bestsellers, Fame and Faith, both published in 2018 and 2021, respectively. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode featuring actor, producer, and writer Justine Bateman. Well, Justine, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds. Um, We are big fans of yours. I'm a huge fan of your work for so many years, and I absolutely enjoyed and loved this film. Um, So congrats, by the way, on your directorial debut. What led to the decision to jump into the director's chair? Um, well, I'd wanted to direct since I was like 19, but the timing didn't feel right. And I found it in the past when I've like pushed forward and tried to make it happen, quote unquote, like whatever it is, whatever, uh, I feel like there's a, there's a timing element. Um, it's just, it's just resulted in just a pile of stuff. It hasn't been, um, and this could be even something like a, you know, writing my scripts. I do the same thing with my scripts. Like I, I let the idea bake and bake and bake in my head until I feel like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta do it now. It's like, and now it's ready to come out of the oven, you know? And then at that point, writing comes very easily to me, maybe because I do it that way. I don't know. And then I'm able to just like, you know, you know, just like pop the script out 
I think because I let it bake. Anyway, so same thing with other things in, in my life and, and directing was one of them. And so uh, it wasn't until like around 2016, I was like, oh my God, the timing's here. I can feel it. This is like, I got to And I did the two shorts and then raised the money for Violet and shot Violet. Um, yeah, it was just a matter of that. That's amazing. Um, and I, I think it's very interesting that you said that writing comes easy because one of my follow-up questions to that, you know, we obviously know you from your long and impressive career in film and TV as an actor, um, but did acting at all help craft your skill as a writer? And did that have any impact on your, your writing um, ability? Well, in a in, uh, I'll explain it this way. They're like, they're two components of, of, of what I'm about to say. So I've always been really curious about people, you know, as a kid, right? Like, and about situations like, um, oh, why is she wearing that coat? Like, and I, and I would go like, was she, did she go to the store wanting that coat? Or was she in a store and then saw it and was like, I have to have that. And then I was like, and then when she put it on, was she like, I love how this makes me look. Or did she think, I don't really like how this makes me look, but my mom likes to see me in these kinds of coats. So I'll get it. Like I was always curious about people's motivations or why did that person just say that to me? Like what's going on in their life that made them say that? Or anyway, so that, that served me well as an actor. And I've, my, my initial creative state was collage making as a little kid and then writing. So that served me well, you know, certainly with writing and, and now, you know, very much so with directing. Um, yeah. So it's all, I don't know, I guess when you look back, you know, 2020 hindsight, just all these things all together, like it makes perfect sense that I'm, that I have a collage attitude about filmmaking and that I'm directing right now. It's just, um, has all come together, but yeah. So in a way, of course, but the root of why I was good as an actor was this curiosity I had, which also made me a, a good writer and, and sure. Having worked as an actor in the past definitely helps with directing. I mean, I know exactly what to say to the actors. Um, yeah. That's incredible. I mean, writing is not an easy feat. <laughs> um, so that's, that's awesome. And it's a blessing that it, that it comes so easy and organic for you. Um, we, we all have that voice in our head that questions our decisions or lead us down a path sometimes where there's no going back. Um, for Violet in this film, we physically see her inner monologue play out in her head. So what made you decide to take that artistic route with Violet's narrative? Well, I really wanted this to be a film for the viewer. You know, I really wanted it to, to be I wanted it to be something that the viewer would experience themselves, make it immersive. Right. So I designed the audio and visual elements to to accomplish that compound the, that immersive feeling. Um, so, yeah, you have the. Um, well, just quickly, like the violent imagery, which indicates that these these negative thoughts are not, you know, I don't think we should, or at least I have found in my life, like I, I just brushing them off is not useful. I need to get in there and find out why. And, um, you know, and then you have the voice, you have the handwriting on the screen. Um, you have the red element when she's, you know, numbing out. Um, mm -hmm. and then the, you have the rushing grass, which is like progressively she's getting there. She's getting there. She's going to get 
there as is the viewer. You're going to get there. You're going to get to you being completely you, you without any people pleasing, you without any fear-based decisions, you're going to get there. And it's like, that's why the writing on those is like, I, and then I am, or it starts with I am, and I am going, I am going over, I'm going over that line. Because that's what I hope for all, everybody who watches this film. I want them to go over that line where they can become, really become themselves, really in the same, like feel like you are right in your skin the way you might've felt when you were a little kid. Like you're not thinking about what people are thinking about you. You're making instinctive based decisions. You're, you know, and granted, we all had to like uh, customize those decisions so we can fit in to like reasonable society, right? Because of course, when you're like two years old, you know, you want what you want. But, you know, people know what I mean. So that's my hope for everyone who sees this. I, I really love the way it was crafted and it's so unique. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that on screen before. So um, I really enjoyed that artistic route that you took with uh, explaining Violet's thoughts and motivations in this film. There, there was a previous interview where you said that every project you work on must have a thesis statement. Yeah. So what is the thesis statement for Violet? Um, thesis statement for Violet generally speaking, is this is a map to get from where you are to who you're supposed to be completely. Mm. And so everything in this film, for me, had to dovetail into that, had to support that. Um, I could, I, I don't want to have, I don't want to have any scenes, any characters, any lines. I don't want to have anything in the, in the, uh, in the set design even that doesn't support that somehow. And sometimes in order to support a thesis statement, I mean, we all know from writing papers in school, right? Sometimes you're, you're almost, you go off, sometimes you're doing a contrast and compare, or you're doing a, or you're taking a contrary view in order to prove your point. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that is all part of proving a thesis statement too. Um, I just find if, if as a director, when I have that, in, because I have that in mind, it makes it very easy for me to make decisions about what needs to be in the film. For example, the handwriting on the screen was not in my original script, but when I, when I did what, what I assumed would be my final cut, I knew I wasn't there yet. I hadn't completely hit the target in, in, by my own standards, I hadn't hit the target on that thesis statement. And, and I was like, okay, then what am I missing? I'm missing this, this, um, this desperate, passionate uh, need to get out. And I was like, okay, well, how can I achieve that? And I thought, oh my God, I got it. I'll write it on the screen. I'll write it on the screen, like little notes of prisoners writing and pushing out a, you know, a high barred window to like, to escape. Right. So Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I wound up doing. And, you know, I didn't know if it would work. So I worked with my editor and, you know, we put it in like the first 10 minutes and I was really pleased with how it did accomplish what I was trying to do. And it created this pressure cooker, um, the voice pressing down on Olivia, Olivia's performance. And then this writing 
kind of bubbling up from underneath created this really intense pressure cooker on her performance I found, which was already great, but you know, it intensified it for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, you never know, you put something in, you're like, I don't know if this is going to nail it. Like I need it to be nailed. And then, you know, I was very happy to see that it did. Yeah. It, it was done so well. Was the, the font choice in your head at all when you were conceptualizing that? Well, I wanted it to be handwriting. I mean, that's all me. I like, I hand wrote all of those. I mean, I think we did, oh, nice. we did a, a lot. I think there's uh maybe a hundred and wait, I can look this up for you. I don't want to give you the wrong number. Somebody <laughs> like decides they got the time to go count it all. Right. I want to make sure I'm saying the right. Um, okay. I'm going to get this for you. There are, uh, there are 124 annotations in there. Um, and originally 386 were made. Um, and then, you know, saying different things or in different sizes or different placements. And so, um, and that's just all my handwriting on a Wacom tablet. Wow. That's amazing. That's interesting to know that about you and the, and the film and, and the way that all came together. Um, and I know that, you know, I'm, I've been on, I've not been on it lately, but I've been on the clubhouse app. And, <laughs> uh, I know that you've had a significant presence on there um, as the founder of the film club. So how has creating a community online helped you as a filmmaker? Um, as a filmmaker, I'm not sure, but you know, I find clubhouse, tell me if you have found this, but after being on like, you know, Twitter, which I find to be, you know, just an assault of aggressiveness. Yes. Um, and then, you know, and then Instagram that has its own thing. I'm not on Facebook, but, um, to, wow. To just be having conversations with people, uh, you know, when I first got on, I guess like a year ago and it was during the shutdown, right. It, I really was missing like meeting. I love my friends, but I was really missing meeting new people. And then you get so much information from somebody's voice mm -hmm. versus a you know, the, the texting that's, that's the, you know, main, the primary format of all these other social media platforms. Um, but wow, I made I made some really good friends on that platform. I, I I think they've done a great job. There's a real culture at at Clubhouse that I that I dig. I mean, if you stay out of the you know how to get how to make a a million dollars in fifteen minutes rooms, you know, <laughs> right. those aren't useful. Or, you know, buy my rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are I don't know, but I really like how you can just. I had the most. I've had the most interesting conversations with people on there. And um, really just, I love having conversations about things I don't really know that much about, you know, like, oh, what is it like to be, um, this one guy was like a, a rap artist in some tiny town in Italy. And he got all these American, he was in this room with all these American rappers. And they, um, he was like, I can't do an uh, Italian accent well, but you know, he was like, Hey, I have these, I have these lyrics. I need some beats to go against it. And then these American rappers were like, yeah, well, let's, let's hear some of it and say it. And they're like, oh no, he had beats. He goes, I have these beats, but I don't have any lyrics against them. And they're like, well, let's hear them. And they play them. And then these guys were like, that's dope. I'll put, I'll put some music. And it's like, he's in this tiny town in Italy. Would he have ever been 
found himself in a room of American rappers where they're like, I'll, I'm with you. I'll, I'll do some lyrics against that. I mean, I just, it just, I just thought that was so cool. It's anyway, I know I'm going on and on about it. Yeah. So film club, you know, it's Mondays at four. I try to keep that consistent, like four Pacific time. And it's just like a book club. Like you, you watch a, you watch a film on your own and then you come in and talk about it. And, and it's for cinephiles and film fans. And, and we just talk about like, what did, how did this film make you feel? And how do you think the director accomplished that? Do you think it was through the casting or the editing or, and uh, you know, and then we talk about like what was going on while this film was in production or when it was, when it was received. And we really try to have like this kind of full conversation about this art project that is this particular film. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's amazing what you've created there. And every now and then I, I pop in. So you guys have, I should, do you guys have an account on there? I should follow you guys. Not the black girl nerds account. I have just my own personal, but I'll follow you and you could follow me back. Okay. <laughs> um, so critical thoughts are something that everyone suffers at one point or another, but it seems to wound women more than it does men. Do you think that's a fair statement? I have a theory on that. Wait, tell me your, your, um, J a spell it out for me at Jamie BGN. Sorry. Oh, okay. G- forever in a day. And yeah. Like, uh, like Bravo November, like black girl nerds at Jamie BGN, J a M I E BGN. Oh, BGN. Duh. <laughs> It at Jamie BGN. Why isn't it coming up? Whatever. I'll I'll, I'll try to figure I'll, it out. Here. I'll follow you, and you'll okay, you'll see I'll the notification. Um. <laughs> all right. So sorry. What, what did what did you just ask? So yeah. So like, critical thoughts are something that everybody suffers from at one point or another in their lives, but it seems to wound women oh, yeah. more than it does men. So okay. Here's my theory on that. Um, and, you know, I'd love for any anthropologist to, uh, uh, you know, back it up or, or um, just, you know, counter it. But it seems to me that um, on, a, on a real tribal level, real like thousands of years ago, tribal level, you know, I, I think it has its roots in evolutionary survival for females in this way if the shit hits a fan and you're in this, you know, like I said, real basic, like eliminate all these other variables. You're just like, you're just in a tribe thousands of years ago, the shit hit the fan. You needed to have a way to get out of that situation. And generally speaking, and I'm really making broad generalizations, generally speaking, men are anatomically built stronger than women. So perhaps they don't have to do the calculus of how would I get out of here? What's my route out? Who are my allies and all this stuff? Because they just know like, oh, I can get myself out of here. Right. But I think one of the ways that females have survived, again, this is just a theory, is that they, they have to be more clever about it because they don't, they may not have the just flat out physical strength to get themselves out of a a bad situation if the shit hit the fan in that specific collection of people. Right. So I think in that sense, then we have survived, part of our survival skill is being very in tune with what's going on around us. That's why we're able to, and I, and I think that's why we're able to read body language, uh, vocal tone, 
um, the feeling in a room, um, the feeling in a situation. I think our, in, our intuition is like at a high level because we needed that to survive. Just a theory, but it explains why, you know, when you're saying to like a male friend or your boyfriend, like, oh, did you hear how she said that to me? I mean, obviously, you know, X, Y, Z is going on. And he's like, what do you mean? I didn't hear anything in her tone. What do you mean? You're like, oh, you're kidding me. Like you didn't, you didn't pick that up, but, but you say to another woman, she's like, tell me about it. Right. So she gets what's going on. So I think in, because of that, I mean, if, if that's true, then we are far more susceptible, I think, to, even though there's a lot, plenty of men who have seen this film or read the script and said, oh my God, this is exactly what I'm going through right now. Or I wish I watched this three years ago would have saved me a lot of time. So this is really about the, the human condition to me. Like I could have made, instead of Violet, I could have done a guy instead and the voice would have been saying different stuff. But I think because we have, we're so in tune with um, reading our surroundings and our situations, mm -hmm. I think then we are especially vulnerable to criticism about all of those things. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Because we're in tune with more divisions in life, generally speaking, there's more divisions in life through which these critical, uh, fearful thoughts can come through. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's just a theory. Like I said, I'm not an anthropologist. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so, but it, it seems to play out. That theory seems to play out in what we kind of witness in our, and yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, these conversations are conversations people are definitely going to be having after they see your film. And um, I really appreciate your time and talking to me today and answering my questions. I hope more people see this um, even after the festival run. And thanks for your time, Justine. And I did follow you, so you should be able to see okay. me on your call. I'll look it up. <laughs> um, yeah. And thank you. It's great to talk to you. Um, uh, thanks for, um, for, you know, wanting to, <laughs> and this will come out, um, like, uh, end of October, beginning of no November around then. I think there's going to be an announcement soon about the release date. Awesome. Awesome. Well, all the best to you and, um, enjoy the rest of your festival. Thank you. I'm going to look for your name now on the followers. Okay. <laughs> all right. See you on there. Bye. Bye. The black girl nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.